This week's guest is DJ Twist, Brian Orr, who joins us from St. Petersburg, Florida. Twist has been DJing for a couple of decades now. We talk with him about his early years working in bars and restaurants, how Twist got into DJing originally. We talk about how his approach and outlook on performing has changed over the years, and some of his favorite and notable places he's played. Twist is also currently an investment coach in real estate and in the final stages of completing a book. We had a terrific interview with Twist, and make sure you check him out on the web at djtwist.com or any social media site at DJ Twist. Enjoy the show. The Industry Podcast is supported by The Case for Wine. Your local agent for the southwestern Ontario region is Rick Baroncelli. Rick lives in Waterloo and is happy to take care of all your wine needs. Whether you're a wine buyer, food and beverage manager, sommelier, or a private individual, Rick will be happy to discuss your wine needs. Act now and receive 25 bucks off your first order by mentioning the industry podcast. That's this fucking podcast right here. That's bonus. How's it going, Dan? I'm doing all right, thanks. Yourself? I'm doing well. I'm Kip. I'm your host. Dan, of course, is the producer. That's me. What's new? Not much, actually. Just uh, finally, well, feeling much better after the COVID bout. Yeah, that's so, good to get back week on. by week. Yeah. <laughs> Just in time for you to get sent off uh, to another, Luxembourg. That's right. Another trip to Europe. See if I can get it again. So we'll see how that works out. <laughs> that's perfect. Yes, yeah. And you, what's going on with you? How's the uh, mayoral candidacy running? Well, I'm running it, man. That's, that's, uh, doing, uh, I'm doing it. I'm campaigning. So don't forget, if you live in the Waterloo region, that you want to go out and vote on October 24th. Everybody should vote. Municipal elections are the most important ones to your lives. Mm-hmm. As much as I'd appreciate you voting for me, as long as you go out and vote, I'll be happy. Perfect. All right. Uh, in addition, I should mention that Babylon Sisters Wine Bar Uptown Waterloo is in full force. Only a few more weeks left to enjoy our lovely patio at the back, probably, before it goes from 30 degrees here to minus 10. No, that's standard. <laughs> yeah. Two seasons, summer and winter. Yeah. So take advantage of that. Also, you'll want to check out Sugar Run in any type of weather. We're in a basement. It's a speakeasy. So that's in downtown Kitchener, and you're just going to have to find that one on your own. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have a great guest as usual. We're going to be bringing in Brian Orr in just a minute. But before we do, we should mention that if you're enjoying what we do here on the Industry Podcast, you should subscribe, rate, and review the show. It helps tremendously. If you want to be a guest on the show, two ways to hit us up. Info at theindustrypodcast.club is the email address. Or you can DM us directly at the Industry Podcast on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I did notice um, those links are always posted in the show notes. Some of those bottom links, which usually refers to our show on iTunes pod- or Apple Podcasts, and those were truncated now, so they're not having as much space. But on Spotify, all of them show up fine. So, Apple. What are they doing, eh? Nuts. Zach Hanna at ZachHanna.co. He does the artwork for the Instagram page. He's also doing all the artwork for my campaign. I saw some prints the other day. They look amazing, so you'll get to be seeing those around town if you live in Waterloo, Ontario. Mm-hmm. But enough about us. Let's talk to Brian Orr, a.k.a. DJ Twist. How's it going? Guys, what's up? How's everything going up north? Pretty good. Pretty good. During the last races of summer. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty hot here, but as we mentioned before recording, not nearly as hot as you got it in St. Petersburg right now. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful down here. I can't complain about that. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing the show. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. So let's start by talking about 
I mean, you've you got a sort of a long career doing a bunch of different things. Let's talk, though, originally about your career in the service industry, as that's the, the focus of the show. But I want to talk about your DJ career as well, obviously, because that's service related. So let's talk about how you broke into the service industry, where, when, how. So if you're not considering DJing from the service industry, right? So we're talking about like well, bartending is, and that but yeah, yeah. From, from your perspective. Okay, so that that's a much shorter conversation. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I bartended in college at like a local college bar and well i guess okay how did i uh, let's even back it up i used to bar back in brooklyn um yeah yeah, just like just like when i was a teenager and you weren't allowed back there but you know we were it was different back way back way back then and um paid cash too yeah everything was cash well you know you can't get audited 25 years later can you (laughs) (laughs) yeah so basically you know, I was I was bar backing in, in Brooklyn way before college. And then uh, when I got to college, you know, I was DJing through this whole run. But, um, ah. you know, when I got to college, I bartended a little bit and I didn't really know what to do. I, I kind of people would ask for drinks and I would just be like, vodka soda. Cool. Like, and that was about it. And it was sort of like my fun little gimmicky thing, I guess. Like you, I kind of just poured whatever I felt like pouring and it was never really too uh too much trouble it was a college bar it was just like all right there's liquor in it cool i used that uh, trick myself in uh some at at the nightclub i worked at somebody came up and ordered a zombie and i'm like bottle of canadian it is (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) exactly so i actually then got a a job bartending at this place called flying saucer which was i think a franchise or a chain or something and it was all beer so i had to learn a lot about beer I don't remember much about it, but I did it. it. You know, this was college after all. Yeah. And then outside of college, I did actually go to bartending school in New York. I did that for like a week. It was like a 40 hour course to try to learn how to actually make more than a vodka soda. Mm -hmm. And, (laughs) you know, I did that and I worked at a a couple places down near Madison Square Garden. And that part of it, it just... Oh, and, and I waited tables one day. I, <laughs> I did that one day. I did. I did that as a, at a at a diner in Brooklyn, and I worked one breakfast shift. And I just it just wasn't for me. It just wasn't right. for me. Well, so, especially the fucking breakfast shift, man. That's the worst. Oh like, my! You God. can never refill the coffee enough times. It was. It was. Yeah, you couldn't do. I couldn't do anything to make people happy. And no. I, and I was like, it's it's a beautiful sunny morning, but nobody cared. And I was like, yeah. oh man, this is tough. This is not really my thing. Yeah, as far as service goes, that's about the extent of it from your guy's scope. I mean, yeah. I did own a restaurant for a little yeah. while. Yeah, it says on your uh, on your uh, sort of what, what the bio that you sent me. I don't know if, where you use that on your maybe on your webpage, but um, failed restaurant tour. So tell us absolutely, the story behind that. <laughs> absolutely. So from an investment side, I would consider it more failed. I invested in a, a restaurant in Madrid, okay. and we I had a couple of partners. Two of them I knew, one of them I I didn't know. And it just, it was early in my investing career and I just didn't do my proper due diligence on what I was expecting to get out of the restaurant. It, it was a good concept. It worked great. We we hit a lot of trouble. We were in, in Salamanca, which is like a little bit of a ritzy area in Madrid. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want us there. Like the, the, the residential people didn't want us there. So Spain is very, very, very political. And we ended up getting hit like a week before opening with some noise ordinance nonsense where we had to actually strip the decor, strip everything and put in 
sound panels, like eight inch sound panels, because they said we were going to be too noisy. Oh. This is after we did the whole build out. What was the, so, con- what was the concept of the place? Tacos, man. Mm-hmm. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> yo, so here, no, really. So here's, this is basically the, the, the concept was stupid Americans, more or less. Right? <laughs> so, like, so like, so like when I used to, uh, traveling, this is all through my DJ years and, sure. and I'd be out DJing in, in Spain, and Americans like, oh, you know, how are the tacos out there? And that type of thing. I'm like, they don't make tacos yeah, out here. That's not, it's not the same thing. <laughs> That's not what it is. But people were constantly looking for tacos. So we decided to put a Mexican restaurant. That um, is pretty smart. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. We, we put a Mexican restaurant right in the center of Madrid. And it went well. You know, the problem was there were, t- I'm sorry? No, I was just going to say aside from the political bullshit, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, so. We we started in a major hole, having to go through the whole expense of tearing everything down and rebuilding it. And even with that, we sustained pretty well. We were like about two years running, and then it, we ran into a management issue. So all, three of the partners didn't live in Spain. Um, uh, one lived there part-time, one lived there full-time, and the other two of us didn't. Right. That's hard. So, yeah, it was really hard. So it was hard yeah. for us to keep keep pace with everything. Were you, and, the, were you stateside at that point? Or you, yeah, you I was in the States. Oh, yeah. shit. No, so I was in the, the States. Yeah. At the time difference and everything, too? Everything. Yeah, Ooh. everything was tough. And ultimately, what it, it, was, it was a small, I guess relatively small, like 72 seats. And ultimately, the downfall was the, the owner slash manager who was on site was getting in relationship stuff with our employees. Oh, uh, oh yeah. And that ended up resulting in a physical brawl um, <laughs> that poured that that broke broke a table poured out of the restaurant into the street into the glitzy you know super fancy schmancy neighborhood in Madrid and um and that was it that was kind of it pretty much it was really hard to convince the neighbors after that one yeah. that um, we were on the up and up so you know everything up until that point went great yeah. So, um, yeah, so we shut it down from there. And then, you know, that's about the extent of my service experience. All right. Well, I do want to talk about your DJ experience, because obviously that's sort of been the biggest part of your life, it seems like. But before we do that, let's talk about Sicilian winery Tasca Dalmentia. It is a special producer in the case for wine portfolio. Tasca is held in high regard, winning the 2019 European Winery of the Year by the Wine Enthusiast magazine. Also in 2021, they were awarded the prestigious Green Emblem awarded by Robert Parker. 25 awards were presented worldwide, and only three were presented in Italy, with Tasca being one of the recipients. We have this wine at Babylon Sisters. I'm just going to do an aside for that, and it is delicious. Their focus on sustainability and is industry-leading, and they have five vineyards in Sicily from high atop Mount Etna to more inland, and Whitaker Island to name three. Tasca was the first winery in southern Italy to produce a single vineyard wine named Rosso del Conte. For a full range of Sicilian wines, sink Tasca from the Bone Dry Regiale Bianco, also now available at Babylon Sisters, the Bold Cabernet Base Cygnus, and finally, the Rosso del Cante. Arriving soon is the Regali San Francisco Cabernet Sauvignon. And that is all available at the Case for Wine. Your local rep in the Case for Waterloo region is Rick Baroncelli, rick at thecaseforwine.com. And back to you, DJ Twist. Let's talk about this. So you start, when did you start getting into DJing? And tell us where it took you. 
Yeah, so I started early in Brooklyn. I was, I don't know, 13 or 14. And uh, my older sister just used to listen to the radio and dance all the time. And I started hearing the first the first that I'd heard of DJs like Funkmaster Flex and Red Alert and these um, classic hip-hop DJs and Kid Capri. And I started listening to them manipulate the music, essentially scratching, right? Mm-hmm. Manipulating the music on the radio. And I had never heard that before. So I was like, what are they doing with the, like with the records? And they were, you know, using doubles and, and I don't know how, how sophisticated DJs wise you want to get here, but basically, you know, they were scratching, uh, and, and in its simplest form, manipulating the music. And my sister was like very hyped up about what they were doing. And I was like, well, that's kind of cool. Like they're controlling the music and she's responding to it. So uh, just, just like that, just that little thing. I was like, I want to, I want to do that. I want to control the music. And that's pretty much what got me started. And I started finding local guys that were DJs and just, you know, I guess you can call it paying your dues, but carrying their records and, and sitting oh. around and, um, and showing up at gigs and, and bars and stuff. Again, this was in the nineties. It was very different. You could be in a bar at 14 right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, I was in nightclubs in the city at 15 and I just fell in love with the, with the DJ booth idea, with the concept of, being able to, I use the word manipulate, but in a way it's manipulating the music, but it it's, the feeling is more so of empowerment to some extent of the, of the crowd, right? Like you can play a song that somebody hasn't heard in 20 years and completely make their night, mm-hmm. or you can play a song that somebody, it was, you know, their best friend who maybe even passed away. And, and it was like just a great memory for them. And they're super happy. You know, you, you have that, that power to be able to to help people with you know what, what what's in that song they say um some dance to remember some dance to forget right yeah, yeah. forget what what lyric what song that is but um, i think that's uh, hotel california actually yes exactly yes it is it is <laughs> yeah, hotel california yeah. so it, it it was that and i fell in love with that and from that point i just started collecting records and you know I guess the, the the person that really gave me my first opportunity was a DJ called Tommy Tom in North Carolina. And we, I had moved down there to finish high school and I would go to his house and sit in his bedroom. It sounds weird, but there, he's, it's a, <laughs> we were all bedroom DJs. Like that's yeah, how we are. That's, that's where started. everybody's yeah. staying. Yeah. So, and I would just sit there and just watch him. And he was phenomenal, phenomenal. Just everything that he did. And I would just watch him and he never let me touch his records. And I mean like more than a year. I was not allowed to touch his records. Now, nowadays, you can't tell kids that. They would never... There's no way that that would fly nowadays. (laughs) But I was just not allowed to touch it. He's like, you can touch it when you're ready. You're not ready. And one like when he would, you know, go answer his mom about something, of course, I would jump over on the turntables and just start trying to do it. I would have to turn the volume down so he didn't hear it. and And he basically gave me my first gig opening for him. And for that was in like 95 or 96. And he was playing at the number one hip hop club in North Carolina. So I played shows with like Wu-Tang Clan, Jay-Z, all of these people in the Foxy Brown, like in the mid nineties that I would have never had access to as like, I had no business being there, but you know, he kind of opened that door for me there. And again, I just continued to like fall in love. And, and from there, I just spent the next two decades, you know, playing all over the country on 
I've traveled many places around the world. I've had a, a bunch of different TV appearances and you know, I've had a great success that, that came from that. So it's, it's fantastic. I love it. And are you still actively doing it? I am. All right, fine. So I've, reti- <laughs> I've retired. I've retired three times already. Okay. I've retired from DJing three times already. When I moved down to St. Pete, an old buddy of mine who I'd known for uh, many, many years was, had actually moved here. And I moved down here so I can, I, my other business is I'm a real estate investor. Okay. So I moved down here so I can invest in real estate and sail and learn how to sail and spend time on, on the ocean. That was my plan. Mm-hmm. I was done. I had officially retired and I got down here for the third time and I had officially, <laughs> and I had got down here and he was like, um, he's like, Oh man, you're in St. Pete. So dope. Like what's going on? You know, are you working? And I was like, no, I'm retired. You know, I, I even had my wife, like I had my check, my last check and we were going to frame it and I was going to put it up for my kids to see. And he goes, you better throw that fucking check away, dude. He's like, you got to get to work. So, you know, from, from that point last year to now I have 22 gigs this month. Oh, fuck. And yeah. <laughs> yeah so and it's, that's and, uh, so yeah, I'm pretty active. <laughs> so I'm pretty bad. I'm back full force. Um, I work, I work locally. One of the, my, my deal was though, is I'm not going to travel anymore because right. I have two little kids and yeah, I've done a couple of like weekends here and there, but I used to travel a lot. Like mm. I used to be gone for three weeks at a clip and that like my son's whole first year, I missed a massive portion of that yeah. being overseas so I was like, fine, I'll do it, but I'm not traveling anywhere. So I don't travel. So I stay very local. I put the kids to bed. I I go to work and I'm back in the morning. I'm not always happy when they wake me up in the morning, but yeah, I'm yeah, there. Yeah. You know, I'm there. And I have a you know a few other contracts here. I work, if you guys are baseball fans, I work at the for the Rays. I do um I oh, see nice. you got a, a Red Sox hat on. Yes. I do some I do some events for the Rays out at the stadium. So, you know, I'm still doing a couple things like that and just having fun. That's awesome. So how old were you when you first got your first paying gig, DJ? 15. 15. So at that point, nice. Yeah, yeah maybe 15 or 16. I mm-hmm. mean, it was probably like, I, I wish I could remember, maybe like 50 bucks or 100 bucks. But yeah. you know, it was the first time that I actually got paid to do it. Yeah. So we probably have a ton of questions for you about this between the two of us because we're both retired DJs. So <laughs> are you really? Or, or you could say failed DJs. Yeah. I've, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm okay. an active. I'm an active restaurateur still, but oh, all right. So we <laughs> have a little DJ. relationship. We just flipped happening. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So one of the questions I have when you're traveling all over the world, how much of a pain in the ass it is to drag your records around on these, like, or we're you using Serato mostly, or at that yeah, point, so, or, or tractor. Oh, I have a tractor story for you. Okay. So we, when I was early traveling, carrying the records, it was a bit difficult. But you yeah. know, you had your flight cases. Of course, your music was very limited. You can only play with. That's you the can- thing, right? Like, yeah. and not to interrupt you, but like when I was playing, it was like I would have bring all. Like I would only mostly DJ locally, right? But like the. But I bring so much fucking shit because I because like I, I I never had a planned set list. I would just kind of like play what w- was moving the crowd at the time or what I was feeling at the time. If there wasn't much of a crowd, like I, I always wanted to have so much shit with me. So, but I, mm-hmm. so that was why I was thinking like, if you're on a plane, you are limited with you, like with what you can bring with you. Absolutely. So you're, you're restricted to whatever flight cases you can basically drag through the airport. Right. And, or in your car, depending on, you know, it's not always a flight, like especially sure. in, in New York, it, you know, it was a lot of Philly, a lot of Jersey, a lot of uh, that type of stuff. But yeah, my, most of my overseas stuff happened after the technology 
I guess, surgeons, like the development okay. of, of Serato. Mm -hmm. That was, so I was, that was my second time that I was retired. <laughs> yeah. My second time I was retired, I was, it was, I took a few years off because I graduated college and I'm supposed to grow up. <laughs> and DJing, DJing was not going to be, I couldn't DJ forever and nobody wants a 30 year old DJ in the club and all yeah, of this yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm 43 and I'm still getting paid to yeah. DJ. So, you know, who, who, mom, who, um, <laughs> would, whatever thing. So, you know, that was the second time I retired or maybe it was the first, I forget. I don't know. Anyway, I was, I was in a long-term relationship and I had just gotten out of that. And one of my buddies and it was like, I'm going out tonight. Come on out. Let's go hang. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll go out. I, ha I hadn't been out in a while. You know, I was totally off the shelf. So I went out in to Manhattan. And if you guys are all, all, old school DJs, you probably know the name uh, like Brooklyn clan yeah, yeah. or DJ yeah. says a hand. So th all those guys are from my neighborhood. Okay. So when I went out that night, it was a Tuesday and Sis is like three years older than me, three or four years older than me. And that plays into the story a little bit. So when I got to the club, I saw the laptop set up on the, in front of the turntables. And I was like, what the hell is this? And they're like, and it was only just the two like red vinyl records. Yeah. 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 And I was like, what the hell is this? Or maybe they were black. I don't remember the lights. I don't remember. But anyway, there was just the two records and I'm like, where's all the shit. And they're like, no, we don't, we don't bring shit out anymore. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's all right here. Look, look at this thing. And Sis showed me Serato that night. And I was like, what? So now I walk into this place. I have DJs who are years older than me, who are still getting paid to do what they love, who don't have to carry shit anymore. Right. I'm like, this is fucking awesome, dude. I'm like, uh, uh, I think I'm coming out of retirement again. So, so that was it. So I discovered Serato and uh, I think, I guess that was around 2007 maybe. Right. And that's when I really started kicking it back into gear. And that's when most of my travel, my overseas travel and all that really came into play. So it was, it was very easy for me because the library is on the computer. The Serato was a real game changer. And I, that was sort of, coming out around the time that I was starting to starting to wind down. And I was just like, back in the day, though, we were always like, well, that's like fucking cheating. What are, what are they doing there? You got to bring the records. And then you, <laughs> you realize they can all walk erectly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I was like, what As I'm second? still fixing my yeah. back here, right? As yeah. we sit now. <laughs> Maybe I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> okay, tell us your tractor story. Oh, okay, so tractor story. Nothing against tractor whatsoever. Mm. So I was getting ready to do an episode of... Live with Kelly. I don't know if you're familiar oh, with yeah. the show. Yeah, like yeah. Kelly Ripa. And then yep. so <laughs> so they had yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so they had um a DJ week, a celebrity DJ week for it was like the only time they ever had DJs on the show. And they booked me to do the Friday. And the oh. other DJs were like <laughs> Cassidy, Samantha Ronson, and a couple of other DJs, and then me for the Friday. So it was leading up to this uh, that my publicist connected me with the tractor people. And they wanted to sponsor me. So I was like, okay, you know, let's talk about this. So we, we set up a sponsorship sort of deal where they were going to provide me all the gear and yada, yada, yada. So this ended up happening like the week of this show. Oh, that's going to make um, you nervous. Like just not, yeah. not used to the equipment yet. And yeah. Well, you know what? If I had any foresight at the time, it would have. But this is where the problem comes in. <laughs> so I was like... 
I honestly, I didn't even think about it. I was like, all right, it's technology. It's the same shit. I've seen people use tractor. So I unboxed it the night before the show. <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> the night before the show. That's and totally I like, something as I would do. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I was like, I'll just bring it. You know, what's the difference? So I, it had the vinyl. It had the, the box, whatever, the, the control box or whatever it's yeah. called. Yep. Get the interface thing. So the car comes and picks me up. I'm, I go across town. I'm setting up. And for live TV, 1.3 million viewers or some shit like that. <laughs> and it's it's like 25 minutes before the show. And I take the, the, the interface and I plug in the USB and nothing happens. And I'm like, mm, why isn't this working? Right? So now I'm troubleshooting. I'm troubleshooting. And luckily for me, I had brought one of my like protege DJs was with me. And so he's looking at it. I'm looking at it. We're going, what the fuck is wrong with this thing? Well, it turns out it you need an, a, a plug, a power plug for it. Oh, Serato, okay. you don't need a power plug for right. it. Serato, you plug with the USB. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it power the computer powers it. Well, with tractor, you needed the power cord for it. Right. The power cord was sitting <laughs> in the bottom of that box that I never fucking opened because I didn't know <laughs> that you needed like I took I, I got the interface and I was like, cool, uh, interface check. Yeah. Put it in the bag. <laughs> Records check. Put it in the bag. So oh, he had no. to jump in the car, go all the way across Midtown Manhattan at like seven, eight, or I guess eight o'clock in the morning to try to get the plug for a tractor. Oh man. Made it all the way back across town. I plugged in tractor for the first time ever about 45 seconds before, <laughs> before we aired on live television. Oh man. And it was like, oh, we can talk about the lessons that I learned from that, which were which are plentiful. Um, but but yeah, that's just that's my only and, and then I never used it after that. And yeah. and it has nothing to do with tractor. It has absolutely everything to do with just my being so stupid. And then my experience with it, and I was just like, uh, I'm just more comfortable with Serato. Yeah, and I just, right. no, exactly after there. that, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny. Like, I speaking of learning lessons, like I used to play at this club. Uh, I won't mention the name, but they had always had like very janky equipment all the time, and like I knew every single fucking time I showed up there, something was not going to be working. But I never showed up early. Like, not, <laughs> yeah. not one time that would I show up early to see if I could figure out what wasn't going to be working by the time I got there. And it was always like the cold sweat panics when you know, people are mm -hmm. walking into the club. Um, yeah, so a quick question about your equipment. What are you using for equipment now then in terms of your mixer and stuff like that? Yeah, so I, I don't do much mobile stuff anymore in terms like bringing gear out. Oh, yeah, just plug I do. He yeah, I do here and there. Uh, so I have an S9. I still have my my 1200s that I've had for 25 years. Oh, nice. And I have those S9. And that's and then whatever sound. You know, I have a right. couple of uh, cabinets. So these little towers that they have now, yeah. you know, that you don't have to put tripods up and all that. So I have that. But for the most part, uh, when I can get it, I, I use turntables in the club. If not, CDJs, it was that, that was never really my speed, but I'll use them if they're there. And a lot of places have controllers now. Right. So, you know, it's just kind of plug and play. And I, and I just go in there and I, and I play on controllers. I'm not doing any shows like I used to. Like, there's not crowds of people. There's not, I'm doing bars and restaurants and clubs and yeah. that kind of thing. I've tapered way, way down. That's kind of so, fun to go back to doing that sort of stuff, though, right? Because it's like, it's, it's sort of free. I mean, to get to your level, you obviously got to a point where people were coming to see you. So you could probably play pretty much what you wanted. But in those bigger shows, did you find that 
you had sort of more of an obligation to play to the crowd as opposed to when you're playing in a smaller space, you can kind of fuck around with the playing more stuff that you like. So, you know, I, I kind of have an interesting idea about that. I think about that a lot. And I talk about failures a lot. And I'm actually writing a book about that called uh, Failing Your Way to Success. And Good. I, I need to read that. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as that's done, I'll send you a copy. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, better. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it was actually a mindset thing for me because early on, I always used to play for myself. Always. Right. And I was an open format DJ from the very beginning. I learned as a hip hop DJ, but I was an open format DJ from the very beginning. When I was first playing in college, like I had rated my family's record collection. I was playing like, like ACDC LPs with like Motown 45s with like an Eminem single, like, and it was just wide open. And I, and I, and I always, that was, I don't know I think that I always did good by the crowd to some extent. I mean, this, the, whatever success I did have, I think would reflect that, but it, it took me a long time to realize in my, in my mind that I was actually there for the crowd. Right. See, I, it, it, when I was young and when I was playing for a long time and, and even in times when I was doing well, when I started playing for myself, it became, it, it, it like morphed into this ego thing and it always led to some type of failure, right? some type of, you know, not a rock bottom thing, but you know what I mean? Some type of like shit hits the fan and I'm like, fuck, like, that's right. It's not about me. And when I really shifted the mindset from it, from it being about me to it being about essentially the customers, the clients, and that includes not just the guests, but also the promoters, the nightclub owners, you know, the festival, whoever's putting on the show. When I really realized that I was there to serve them, I think that's where most of my success came. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it took me a while to figure that one out. And I was like way deep into my career, almost ready to hang it up by the time I was like, wait, this isn't about you, asshole. This is about <laughs> <laughs> but I, instead of just bitching about bad requests and like, yeah, okay, right. The people so what still, they want. Yeah. I still bitch about bad requests. Sure. I still do yeah. that. Like, you know, this, this whole thing, I don't know if you guys have it there, but this whole on the phone with the requesting songs oh I no i haven't seen that I, oh my god I, we haven't been doing it fucking, for a while but yeah, yeah. just punch them right in the phone dude it's <laughs> fucking brutal so they, roll up, they roll up most first of all bad bunny is like the most requested artist oh, in the world right, right now nothing against him his music's great it's just the damn requests i can't it's fucking too much it. of the same shit yeah. yeah so they type they type it on their phone in whichever way and they stand there and and do this shit and fucking stare at you oh my God. for an hour for with this song. Just because there's audio, I'm just going to say that Twist is just holding the phone up to his forehead. So he's, what he's saying is like, they're just holding the phone to their forehead with the request written on it. Like that's yes. so obnoxious. So exactly. obnoxious. Oh, it's so obnoxious. <laughs> it's so obnoxious. So, so there, that has never, it's, it's always been, and I feel like it always will be, you know, yeah. the request thing. But even in that, right, even in that, it's like, okay, but I'm not, I'm serving the guests, yes, but I'm not here for you. Like, I'm not here for for just that girl right, who's yeah. doing that with her phone. Right, right, right. You know, like, you, and and 
she'll find out one way or the other because I'm not playing it. And by the way, if anybody ever does that, you're never going to hear that song. I, I promise know, you, but... you're never going to hear that song. <laughs> that night, the next week, the following week, I will never fucking play that song. Just like um, if you're fucking waving your cash at the end of the bar, you're not getting served. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's the same flag, right? The same yeah. red flag. So there, there, there is still the, the annoying request, but when you realize that, that you're there for the other 200 people in the room, it's easy to push that that part away, you yeah. know. My favorite one was always when somebody would be requesting this artist. Hey, when are you going to play this? And you're playing that artist at that exact yes. moment, but then, but it's just not the song that <laughs> not they the knew. one they know. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, what's great now too is is unfortunately a lot of times people do have access like to the booth. It's not like when it used to be when uh, we used to have security and yeah. you know, like nobody's on a stage almost. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and you know, even in Manhattan, like it's pretty much designed like that, but now people have requests, but the only good part about that is I can point at the screen and be like, asshole, it's right there. Yeah. It's playing right now, right this second. See that yeah. thing spinning? That's the one. Yeah, yeah. But yes, that happens too. That happens all the time. Yeah, it was like, oh, it's just not that one song I know. It's brutal. Yeah. I have a question back to your touring days. When you were yeah. touring in Europe and stuff like that, so did you have like an agent that would get you these gigs or are you part of like a consortium and stuff that they would just get you these gigs or did you do it all yourself? So I would never say that I did it myself. Because I certainly couldn't do any of it myself. Yeah, I had help along the way, a thousand different ways. Yeah, one thing that I was very successful in was networking. Yeah, yeah. I was. I I look at everything as an opportunity to help people. Wasn't always this way, <laughs> <laughs> but but when I finally was able to kick the ego out, it took a lot of work. But when I was finally able to kick the ego out and realized that I had the opportunity and the blessings and the luxury to be able to help other people. When I started helping more people, more things just started happening. And right. in a way, I, I look at that as networking because I would try to create opportunities for other people and then they would reciprocate and try to create opportunities for me. Also, when I would, you know, when I would do a show just don't be an asshole. Like it, that also took me a long time to learn, <laughs> but man, don't be an asshole. Just fucking be cool. Like that's like, the title of your second book. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but just be cool. Like, like, you know, demanding drinks or, you know, demanding this or demanding that, or like whatever it is. Cause I've been it, I've done all of it. I'm not telling you guys anything that I haven't yeah. done, but but once you once you change all that and you just start becoming cool, like just hanging out with people and making friends legitimately and honestly with integrity, the, then other things start to happen in that way. So so uh, I can give you a, a, a very quick trail. Like I was working in in New York and there was a DJ it was a young DJ and he was trying to come up in the New York scene. He was a model and he was trying to come up in the New York scene. And he came up to me during a, a gig. He might have even been opening for me. I don't really remember. But he was kind of like, you know, hanging over the shoulder and trying to, you know, learn what he could and whatever. And I could have easily been like, asshole, you know, get out of the booth, right? Like your set's over or you, or you don't belong in the booth or whatever it is. 
But, you know, I just took a genuine interest in, in helping like a younger guy. And I was like, yeah, cool. Hang, you know, he, and yeah. he was talking to me through the night. Like, well, why did you play that track? Or he wasn't interrupting me. That would also, right. you know, he was doing it yeah. in a professional, respectful way. So if I'm, bet- if I have a two minute track on and he's, you know, he knows I'm not flipping to the next song. So yeah. How, how, why did you choose that? And what, oh, that one went over really well. Something like that. So turns out from his model stuff, he had his, he had a bunch of connections in Europe. So he ended up being the one to connect me in Switzerland. Oh, okay. And he was like, he's like, I have a DJ guy who runs an agency out in Switzerland. And he, you know, I think that you would do great with your style out there. So I'm going to connect you guys. So he's the one that connected me to Switzerland. The guy in Switzerland, I played out in Switzerland a bunch of times. The guy in Switzerland connected me to the promoter in Slovakia. And it because somehow or another they were connected, but because I went out to Switzerland, I, you, you have to do your job, right? You have to do well. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. first and yeah. foremost, you can't suck. Right. So you have to do well at your job, <laughs> yeah. at least well enough, or at least well enough that, that being cool can, can sort of like override, even if you do suck. Right. Right. <laughs> so you, so you have to like do your job and be cool. Right. And if, you know, and, and then he was willing to put me forward to the promoter in Slovakia. And the guy in Slovakia was the one that same guy that got me into Prague. Oh, sure. So I did Bratislava, I did Prague, I did all of that through through him, but he was connected through Switzerland. Switzerland was connected through this San Diego model who just happened to be DJing opening for me one night in New York. So That's it definitely awesome. wasn't wasn't myself in any way. But when you're a question about a manager, representation, that type of thing. I, I, I've tried that a couple different times, and it just I, it just never jived well for me. I didn't like the dynamic, and I uh, I kind of just rode rode alone, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to that extent. But I certainly didn't do anything by myself. What were you, what were your favorite uh, cities to play in? Uh, whether it's just like to visit, or the crowds, or or the type of music you got to play there, or whatever. And then also, what was the craziest venue you played? Okay, so probably. Hmm. In Cancun, there's a club called The City. And that was one of my first... Now, I I was there twice. And I don't remember if it was called Bulldog. It was like... Or it was the same venue or if it was different venues. I don't remember if it was two different venues. Right. It might have been the same venue. I don't know, but they were similar. I I, I can't... You know, it's been a long road. It was one of those two. And... It was the first time that I played like an arena style venue. Okay. So I was like all the way up. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. Elevated. And so like when I first started, DJ booths were not what they are now. DJ booths were like in a crow's nest, like tucked behind glass. Like they didn't yep. want anybody to like know who the fuck the DJ was or That's whatever. Right. And and I, by the way, I'm completely fine with that. I don't yep. want to be on the stage. I liked it better in a crow's nest and I wish I could go back there. <laughs> but but this one, so it sort of qualifies to to one of the coolest things and one of the craziest things because this was a new thing for me. And I was on this like big stage like hang from the ceiling kind of thing and it was this arena with like multiple levels right and i don't know what the capacity was there but it was fucking insane like just completely insane everything about it everything that you might imagine looking down on like thousands of people on spring break in cancun just going completely ape shit and then like i'm standing there and like i just like thought back to that to my bedroom or my sister's, you know, that first time when right. I was like, I want to manipulate the music. Yeah, like yeah, I want to yeah. entertain the people. 
And, and then I was like yeah. looking out and I'm like, holy fuck, like careful what you wish for because <laughs> now I have to actually do stuff and they're all listening. It's and cool. It's cool it was, that it was you, wild. That you had the moment of self-reflection there though at that time because I, I think that's the hardest fucking thing when you start getting successful at anything is like, I, w- I heard somebody say the other day that one of the hardest things to do is to be the kind of guy who's always reaching for the brass ring, but also stop trying to stop and smell the roses. Like, mm-hmm. And so if you can get that little moment of self-reflection where you can actually smell the roses while you're grabbing for the ring at the same time, that's that's just an awesome feeling. Yeah, it was. And scary as shit, too, by yeah. the way. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I... Um, but yes, I, 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 I appreciate that. And I agree with you in that sentiment. It and, was, and, uh, and so what's your favorite city that you went to or like whether it's just like you like to visit there the best or whether it was yeah. the, the, the crowd that you enjoyed entertaining? I, I think my probably my favorite city is Zurich. Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. I've been there a bunch of times. And every time I went, like the people are just so fantastic. They're so welcoming. Like you know my my first time that i was ever there i was i was in the hotel and the promoter was like you know what what are you up to for like the day and i was like i I don't nothing really you know i kind of just wait in the hotel until the until it's time to go to the show Especially because like, it's 1500 dollars to eat at McDonald's there. So. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I went, I just went to get a coffee, by the way, and yeah. you haven't paid me yet. So I don't know if I can afford being here. Like I didn't bring enough. So, but he was like, You want to ride bikes? And I was like, Are you serious? Yeah. He's like, Yeah, I got an extra bike here. You want want to go ride around the lake? I'm like, fuck yeah, I want to ride around the lake. Like, how awesome is that? Yeah. Sure, I'll do that. And and that was one of the, that was one of the first times that I ever like talking about smelling the roses, right? Mm. Like it was always just you know, plane or bus or train or hotel and gig and plane, you know. And when I was in the hotel, I would just sit there, like I would just sit there and work on music, watch movies, and you know. And that was one of the first times where I was like, yeah, riding a bike around the lake would be fucking fantastic. Yeah. And we got on bikes and we rode around the lake, and he and he ran into a bunch of his buddies who were you know, swimming that day. So we parked the bikes that we all just jumped in the lake and hung out and spend the whole day hanging, hanging out there, drinking beers and, and just having fun. And every time since then, it only got better. Like, you know, people who I met randomly at one venue would come over and be like, Hey, come on, let's go get some burgers. And, you know, let's do this, let's do that. And they were just so welcoming and, and really like I had a birthday there one year and they brought me to a restaurant. I had a bunch of people out for dinner that I didn't know. <laughs> I, knew some, I knew some of them, but, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. They, they had like a birthday cake for me. And I had only been there maybe two or three times at that point. And it, it was just like such, such a welcoming city. So above all else, I mean, aside from the prices, you know, it's beautiful and, and it's and it's multicultural and it's just so much fun. And the people are just so fantastic. Right. Well, that's awesome. Well, Twist, I got to tell you, man, this was a super fun conversation. We really appreciate you giving us the time. Uh, let our listeners know where they can uh, follow what you do. Yeah, so my website is djtwist.com. I'm on almost all social media at DJ Twist, um, DJ T-W-I-S-T. And stay tuned. I hope you guys uh, follow me on Instagram or Facebook or whatever your platform is. I do have that book coming out pretty soon that I'm writing. It's mostly based on real estate. 
which is something we, we, we didn't talk about. But if you are interested in investing in real estate, feel free to give me a holler on that too. There you go. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's another, that's my investing thing. I'm way better at re- investing in real estate than I am investing in restaurants. Okay. So <laughs> let's just put that out there. So you have much less to be afraid of. Um, but yeah, just anywhere at DJ Twist, hit me up. Oh, awesome. Perfect. I'll put links to that in the show notes. Perfect. Oh, and if you're in St. Pete, give a holler. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. No joke. Like if you're listening, if anyone's down here, just just give a holler. We'll go catch a game. Maybe we'll go ride bikes. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. You're an awesome dude, man. Thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. That was a super fun conversation. And uh, I'm glad you have not officially retired yet. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> I really appreciate it. This was Thank a lot you. of fun. Thanks for giving me the chance to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks, man.